Would you like to accelerate your career and reach your full potential in just minutes a day? Welcome to the LeadX Show with New York Times bestselling author and Inc. 500 entrepreneur, Kevin Cruz. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the LeadX Leadership Show. I am Kevin Cruz, and I am psyched for today's show. It is a very special show. I'm going to talk to two legends, literally two of the smartest people on the planet when it comes to leadership and employee engagement. They reveal the single greatest factor in a company's long-term success. I get their honest opinions about what all these upstart companies are doing with pulse surveys and employee experience, and I ask them why hasn't engagement increased much in the last 30 years? And you're going to hear us talk about the seven competencies that they believe in, but You'll hear when we talk about them, they don't actually list them. So just so you know, because I know you're going to be like dying of curiosity, just so you know, their competency model is create accountability, lead change, communicate clearly, think critically, develop people, inspire others, and build relationships. But before I go to the interview, I have to humble brag for just a minute. Of course, I've got my brand new book out, Great Leaders Have No Rules, and I have been very fortunate. I've got over 100 endorsements, including John Maxwell, who said that I give practical advice for leading in a world that will never be the same. Ken Blanchard wrote, Kevin Cruz has discovered gold. Cruz will keep you amused, interested, and motivated. Read this book. And of course, the great Stephen M. R. Covey. He said, this book teaches leaders how to reach new levels of success through transparency, vulnerability, and even love. Maxwell, Blanchard, and Covey writing about Cruz? My name's the only one of those I don't recognize. On to the interview. We have two Jims on the show today. Two guests, both named Jim. Jim Clifton is the chairman and CEO of Gallup. Under his leadership, Gallup has expanded from basically a U.S.-based company into a worldwide organization with 30 offices in 20 countries. Mr. Clifton is the best-selling author of The Coming Jobs War and Born to Build, as well as many articles on global leadership. And Dr. Jim Harder is the chief scientist of workplace management for Gallup's workplace management practice. He is also the co-author of 12, The Elements of Great Managing, and also Well-Being, The Five Essential Elements. And he's co-authored over 1,000 research studies on employee engagement. They are here today to talk about their new book, It's the Manager. Jim Clifton, Jim Harder, welcome to the program. Great to be here. Great to be here, Kevin. Thank you. It's, uh, it's a real honor to have both of you on. I, I mentioned, you know, I've been a, a big fan of your work uh, for a while, and I, I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say at least once a week, I'm either saying in a talk or writing somewhere that according to Gallup research, over 70% of the variance in employee engagement ties back to the manager. <laughs> I've been saying that ever since I, I learned of that. And so I was delighted when I saw and got my advanced copy of your book, it's the manager. So let's just start the big picture. I mean, what are you hoping to accomplish with this book? Jim, do you want to take that and then I'll add? Um, well, let's see. I, I, I guess from a, I guess the, the, the kind of, the big, the big horizon, Kevin, is that, you know, here in the United States, there's about 125 million full-time jobs. 
And, and when we ask those people, you know, are, are, are you engaged? And especially with millennials, because life, job and life are beginning to overlap a little bit. But, but the point is, only 30% of them really feel good at work. And that means uh, you can kind of guess that, you know, then only 30% of them really have a fulfilling life. And so you say, well, how would you fix that? How could you help America boom, uh, you know, economy? We need our economy to boom, regardless of what you read in the newspapers. Our GDP per capita is, is, is lagging. So if you said, is there a lever that we could pull where we could go from 30% to 60%, which would transform the country more than almost anything else we could do? When we look at it, we go, it's really not about all kinds of pay and benefits and all that. It's just about the manager. And so we thought we would just kind of put everything that we know into one book and say, if you really want to boom your own workplace, these are the things to do. And, and it's just the manager. So the, the workplace is changing rapidly. And um, we've been studying this for quite some time. Increased diversity, more remote working, matrix organizations, um, Increased digitization, mobile technology, more gig work, uh, more flexibility in terms of work life. Um, Jim mentioned the productivity decline, but I see that as I've watched this field over the last several decades, uh, the the science of management has uh, advanced significantly, but the practice of management hasn't as quickly as we'd like. We've seen some gradual upticks in engagement, but they're small compared to what we'd like to see. As Jim mentioned, get that up from thirty. 5%, 34% to 60% would have a huge impact on people's lives, on businesses, on, on global productivity. And we've seen so many links um, to these metrics, uh, of these metrics to various outcomes that um, you can really get, you know, excited about what organizations can do. And there's just huge opportunity out there for organizations to change. Now, let me, you've hit on a couple of things already that, that make me want to dive in, but on the higher level of the book itself, I want my listeners to, to realize, I mean, this isn't um, a traditional Gallup book that they, they might be familiar. I mean, it, it's really got everything in it. And in fact, the, the appendix in the back, I think is, is bigger than the front matter uh, in, in the front. Uh, there's so much here, including a lot of the the, the Clifton Strengths materials. So, how do you how do you see a manager utilizing uh, a leader utilizing this this book? You're not going to read it cover to cover in one night. I can tell you that. I would think of it as a as more like a handbook. Um, there's the chapters are all listed off. They're really grouped into five different sections. There's an introduction, but then there's a, a, a section on strategy really geared more toward the, the impact of leadership in organizations, uh, one on culture and how you change a culture. Every organization is looking to do that, it seems. Uh, the employment brand, which is really about the employee experience through the life cycle. And then a section on the future of work that includes a number of areas, including uh, diversity and inclusion, uh, women in the workplace, um, baby boomers, and you know those that are retiring, those that aren't, and, and thinking about that for a business, benefits and perks, flex time, um, the new office, innovation, and a, a number of topics, all the way to AI and um, predictive analytics. And so, as you said, Kevin, it's it is loaded with a lot of information, but they're very short chapters that you could. Uh, we would expect a manager or a leader to pick it up, scan the chapter headings, and think about what issues their organization is facing right now, hand it off to their team. They can read a chapter in 10 minutes, probably have a good group discussion about it. And so um, that's kind of how we see it being used. There will be some probably that'll 
read it cover to cover, but we think most people will use it as a, as a reference. And we tried to pack in, in a succinct way our, our latest research in each of those areas. I think, I think the point is, is that we've been on the wrong tr- track. Well-meaning people have been on the wrong track, and that's trying to make employees satisfied. They don't really want that. And so when you add the fours and fives together, like most companies do, and you say, hey, we got 90% engagement. No, you don't. You, you got you got 15% of the people saying five, and then you got, you know, 75 or some kind of a number uh, saying number four. But you're just going down the wrong wrong path. What they really want is development, especially millennials. You know, you know, if I come here, how will you take me? Will you, will you figure out my strengths? Will you really try to make me the best I can be? So then one of your, let's say that one of your listeners says, I, I want to be that. What exactly should I do? I don't know exactly what to do from that. The answer is you were trained to be a boss in your business school or your MBA school. That doesn't work, mm-hmm. especially with millennials. You've got to go from being a boss to a coach. So you say, well, that makes sense. That makes sense to me. Imagine trying to boss a team rather than a sports team or something rather than coach it. But then they say, I don't know exactly how to go from boss to coach. This book answers that. I'm glad you mentioned that, Jimmy. That's probably my favorite section of the book, given given what we do from boss to coach. And uh, Jim, as you mentioned, these are very short, actionable chapters, you know, uh, great ones like the three requirements of coaching, the five coaching conversations, uh, the link, pay and promotion, uh, team leader breakthrough. And we, we, you already addressed a little bit of this, but you've got a chapter on a question that I get asked all the time. Why don't employee engagement programs work more? Meaning we know, we know we've got a problem, 33%, right, are, are, are actively engaged. And we know the triggers, the drivers of engagement. So why, it's moved up a little. Why haven't we gotten to that 60% yet? What, what would be your response to that? I think, uh, well, in, engagement surveys um, are in most organizations now. So there's a well-intended activity out there, which is asking people their opinions. But um, the right procedures and processes haven't been put in place to make it real in managers and employees' lives on a continuous basis throughout the year. And so that's where those ongoing conversations and the development of each person are important. So there's really four areas we found that you've got to get right if you're going to make an employee engagement program work effectively. First, it's got to be integrated into how you think about the overall company and the strategy of the company. It's got to start with leadership. Second, it's there has to be really clear communication throughout the organization about what to do when and where and why and, and how this relates to everything else that's going on in the business. So is it, is it a separate survey or is it integrated into our philosophy about people and growing a business? Third, it has to be integrated into manager development, as Jim mentioned. The, the concepts you're measuring have to, be, have to resonate with managers in terms of how they're developing continuously so that the metric doesn't just sit in, a, in kind of a silo in the organization. And then finally, there has to be a system of accountability where each manager knows that part of their job is to be a coach. And there's a metric that helps them know how well they're doing in terms of being a coach, not just a person who delegates, not just a person who's responsible for profit. That's, that's of course, extremely important, but they're also responsible for building a culture. And we know change happens at that manager-led team level. I would say, I would add, Jim, that, you know, my, or Kevin, too, that my experience is that, um, 
it, it needs to come out of the CEO's office. You know, those old guys, Deming and Duran and uh, Crosby, they said, if it doesn't come out of the CEO's office, they, they don't even want to be a part of it because it's hard enough to make it go. And CHROs are really important people in companies. It can't come out of theirs. And, and it can't just even come out of the CEOs. If, if you look at Six Sigma, Lean, Reengineering, TQM, NPS, all that, those actually came out of the boardroom. Those are mm. board initiatives. Uh, but I, I, um, they got to come out of there. That's where accountability starts, is that message. Yeah. This this gets into employee engagement weeds a bit, but I'm fascinated because this idea of, oh, 90% of our, whatever percent of our, our employees give us a four or a five. And so, you know, we're engaged and you're saying there's problems with that metric. What is the right metric? Is it the engaged to disengaged ratio? Is it the percent who are fives? Like what jumps out to you in your, in your work and data? What would be the, the numbers to really focus on? When we look at um, employee engagement data at the individual question level, which is really where it's being acted on, um, you can give, you can provide the metric, right? The overall engagement metric, and there's a lot of science that goes into that. Doing that right, it's got to be linked to really high levels of performance. That gives you kind of a guide for where you're at. But in the end, managers are using individual question responses to generate actions, and when you do that looking at the percent fives is substantially better than looking at a four, which is more like the traditional satisfaction or contentment metric. Mm. So if, if you add a four to a five, it's much more like contentment. Now, if you want to target toward that as a starting place, fine, but I mean, you're not going to get to high levels of performance. You're going to, it's basically going to be a more remedial approach. And you're also going to send your employees a false message that you're doing really well. And nobody's going to believe your message because they, they live in the organization every day. So to get to those really high levels of, of, uh, of agreement um, means you get much higher levels of performance. You get much more reliable attitudes and behavior that result from it. Well, that one really good question, Jim, is um, at work, someone encourages my development. Yeah. The, the, you get a five on that and everything. I don't want to oversimplify all the great work that Jim, the, 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 all that your teams do, but boy, you get a, the percent five that a team leader gets on that uh, explains whole whole bunch of the variance. Yeah, if you could move that that from three and ten to six and ten, think yeah. about what that do to an organization. Right, yeah. right. And sort of a follow up on on this uh, is uh, so on that five point Likert scale. If and I know it can vary by industry and things, but at what point? what would be the number of say a top 10% organization if they were looking at that overall engagement number? Is it a 4.2, 4.5, maybe 4.5 and higher would be, oh, you're a top 10% organization. Is there a number that kind of you have in your mind that, that represents that? Well, when we add it all up and, and produce that engagement metric, percent engaged, not engaged, actively disengaged. And just so everybody knows, engagement is really high levels of enthusiasm, high levels of involvement in the organization, high commitment, um, not engaged. They're basically showing up, doing the minimum required, um, not much else. They'll leave your organization for a better offer pretty quickly. And they actively disengaged or working against you. 
Um, those are the people. That's about in the U.S. about 15% right now is in that is in that category. So a big chunk in that middle category. Um, so when you look at that engagement metric in the U.S. right now, it's 34% engaged across the world, as Jim mentioned, 15%. Um, the best practice organizations we've studied move that up to 70% plus. There's some in the 80s, and that's a real high bar. So you get you get to that level, you've got a real reliable culture um, that isn't going to probably change in the near term. And it also kind of gives you a cushion when the economy changes because you got people behind you, you know, when you got a right. threat that enters your business. Now, I, I, I'm curious about your views on a couple of um, trends that, that I saw. I had uh, taken a few years off and, and raised my kids and did some nonprofit work. And then I kind of got back into the human capital management space and discovered a couple of new things. One was people were sending surveys out every month, two months, three months, pulse surveys, which mm. I wasn't f- so familiar with, you know, from when I was in the business over a decade ago. What are your thoughts on this uh, pulse survey approach? I had, uh, I was in a, on a panel a few years ago where there are a number of people saying that pulse surveys were going to take over um, organizations. Now, first, I think pulse surveys are very important, but they have to have a clear purpose and they have to be owned by somebody. Otherwise, it just annoys people. <laughs> um, the annual survey hasn't gone away. In fact, semi-annual uh, full census engagement surveys are still a best practice because you can get the data down to a local level where managers can use it. Uh, it comes around at enough time where they can do something with it. But the pulses can be very useful strategically. Let's say that you've got a, a an issue that you want to check out, you know, how well it's working in the organization. Maybe it's a benefit program. for It could be anything. Um, you want to see how well it's going. You can do a quick pulse. Uh, maybe there's a new metric you want to ch- uh, check out on your employees. You could do a quick pulse. Maybe there's a team in your organization um, that's been working on an initiative and you want to see how well they progressed. You could do a pulse on that. So we've got several hundred questions in our database that are useful for, for that purpose outside of our core metrics. Um, so I, I, think, I, I think the key, though, is you've got to have, uh, you've got to have strong ownership for what you're measuring. You've got to know what, in, in advance what you're likely to do with the information, and people need to know that you're using it. Because if you're not using it, then then you're going to hurt future uh, participation, right? Right. Yeah, it'll, it'll become an annoyance and it'll hurt the brand of the survey to begin with. We've come into a number of organizations that have been through that kind of process and just doing a survey is a big hurdle to get over again because it hasn't been used effectively. And the other thing that, uh, again, sort of surprised me a couple of years ago was it, it seemed like the conversation shifted from employee engagement to employee experience. And uh, I, it, to me, the experience movement so far has felt a little squishy. Like, what does that mean? What is included in it? What is it not? It sounds like engagement is a subset. And where's the research that this experience stuff is, is moving? W- w- have you seen the same thing? And what are your thoughts about this perhaps shift to talking about experience broader than engagement? Yeah, I would say engagement sits within the employee experience. It's a way of kind of measuring what's happening in the employee experience. But um, think about the employee life cycle. Everybody has one of those, right? It goes from um, from attraction to to hiring to onboarding, and then a bunch of stuff happens and people leave. Um, in that stuff happens area, there, there's some really purposeful things that have to that have to occur for employees. They need to be engaged on a regular basis. They need to, to be developing and they need a chance to perform at a high level. And th- those are real critical elements where employees spend most of their time. So the experience, from our viewpoint, the employee experience is the journey 
through those life cycle stages and, and what actually happens. And to get it right, it's important for organizations to be real intentional about connecting their purpose and brand and their intended culture, whatever they want that to be, to each of those stages. Jim, you yeah. might have a more succinct, succinct answer to that. <laughs> I would just say that I think it's really good to have measurement on all, all those, but, but the, I mean, the, the, the big lever on um, saving, uh, you know, holding clients and building them out is it just gets you back to engagement. So, so I think engagement of that employee cycle is 70%, but those other little pieces are good to figure out, but they're probably more like six or 8%. Mm. That makes sense. One that I'd say, Kevin, that people are really kind of seem to be overlooking is is how, what happens during that onboarding phase. Only about one in 10 employees, maybe yeah. 12, 15% of leaders would say their company's doing a good job of onboarding. So, I mean, right there, there's some low hanging fruit that I think needs to have some structure around it. How do I, how do I see my future during the onboarding process? Uh And again, you're hammering on this engagement topic for specifically for, for another minute. Something that I don't see a lot of. So we talk about 70% of the variance is tied back to the manager. Now, I believe that's 70% of the external factors uh, impacting engagement. Do we know how much of engagement is just intrinsic uh, engagement based on personality? Do we have any uh, research or ideas about that? Yeah, we've we've done some analysis of uh, personality type and how that because we know that personality is you know on the continuum of changeable to less changeable uh, personalities more on the end of the of the less changeable uh, continuum. Um, not that people don't change, but we know right. that they're they're innate tendencies. So we we looked at uh, personality variables in relationship to engagement, and you could you could account for probably about a third. Uh, just due to who the person is. But then it kind of comes down to, okay, you've got to know the person, but then engagement really then becomes um, what you do with what you know about that person. Right. So right. engagement's very changeable in comparison to personality. So our, our approach has always been start with who the person is, their strengths, and you, you create engagement in any other outcome you're, you're, you're going for first based on who they are. And another area that I've noticed, you know, Gallup is very different in uh, the very unique, obviously, with Clifton Strengths. There's many other human capital management consulting companies out there who really seem to push, you know, their their competency models. And we won't talk specifically about them, but they sell their their competency models. They do the research to tailor the competency model. Everything's mapped to this big competency model. And what's interesting is some will have seven competencies, very well researched with correlations. Others literally have 67 competencies. That's a big mm-hmm. range. What, where, now Gallup has not really pushed like that with the, an official competency model that everything else hangs from. So talk a little bit about competencies. I, uh, to me, um, it's important when you think about competencies to, to differentiate between what people can actually change through skills and experiences um, and knowing themselves versus what's less changeable and more like an innate trait. And I think many times competency models don't separate those two things. And when they don't, um, it creates frustration because people are trying to become something they're not. So uh, the, w- the way that we approach it is, well, first we did a, a bunch of research looking at hundreds of studies, everything we get our hands on related to competency models, map them. We're able to map them to seven categories. Um, so you know, one of them is, is, is called developing people. 
Now you could say, well, certainly some people are going to be naturally better at developing people, right? But if people know themselves, they can think about how they do that in a way that's appropriate to them and the people they're working with. So everybody can improve a little bit on that, at least maybe a lot. Um, so that's kind of, those are kind of my thoughts on it, but we've yeah. summarized some research we've done in one of our chapters in the, in the book that kind of get into those seven core competencies that we think are important across job types. That's great. I think, Kevin, one of the <clears throat> dangers with competencies, sometimes it's the items aren't actually scientific items. So they'll say, during times of crisis, walks the talk. Right, right. Well, what does that mean, you know? <laughs> but, but the other thing is that let's say that I'm your team leader or your manager, and I bring in some data, my 360 data, and I say, Kevin, here are some things that we found. And I'm mathematically, these are things that are your weaknesses. Mm-hmm. And then here's another one, and here's something. And then I call you and go, hey, Kevin, can you come in? We just didn't, I, I found some more things wrong with you. After a while, I, I become an expert on what's wrong with Kevin. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I know more clinically what's wrong with you than your mother does. <laughs> it's not. Now, we should know um, some weaknesses you have. You don't like to speak in front of people or right. you don't like opening calls. You like to get in with that or whatever it is. So, so you and I know those. The problem with this is that there's no research at all that backs me really getting to digging way into your weaknesses develops people. We just assume it's the right thing. Um, and so you and I can, we, we can know your weaknesses, but I need to spend that same amount of time. So if somebody says to Kevin, Jim's your boss, does he know you more by your strengths or weaknesses? That answer needs to be strengths. That's great. That's a great way to put it. So when it comes to selecting managers, whether from the outside or promoting uh, internally, um, how, how do we do that? How do we start to uncover who has the traits to to become uh, a, a great leader? So we've uh, been able to conduct hundreds of studies on that topic over the last several decades. And um, we've started with uh, studying the best. So how do you define the best? Well, we look at those that are performing at a high level, managers who are performing at a high level with their team. Um, they're... Uh, they have higher productivity, profit, whatever the organization designates are the right metrics for them. They, they keep people. Um, nobody's going to be perfect at keeping everybody, but they keep a lot more people than other managers uh, do. Um, they, they create an environment where customers are highly engaged in the service that they're getting. That doesn't happen by chance. It happens very intentionally through good management. Um, and they have, they have higher engagement among their team. So we use a Managers have responsibilities that are varied, and so we used we use a we use a lot of different outcomes. We look at success, then we study the traits of those managers by asking questions, studying responses to those questions, grouping them into dimensions. And we found there were five dimensions that differentiate um, broadly that differentiate successful managers from less successful managers. When we're talking about innate tendencies, that you can select for. Um, the trouble is most managers don't get into those jobs because of those tendencies. And on a practical basis, I mean, this is, this is a, a pre-employment assessment that could be yeah. done, right, to help filter through all the candidates and, and, and narrow this down. Again, research-backed and uh, in an ideal world, you've got five great candidates from that screen and then you go from, from there. 
Yeah, there's some that just love to work with individuals and the idiosyncrasies of people. Other managers just kind of, you know, they get into the role and they just, that's the part they don't look forward to. You want right. the ones that look forward to that, to right. dealing with people and making great decisions with information and uh, building collaborative teams, motivating people, uh, pushing people to get to the next level. Let's say there's a crisis. They got to get people to, to manage that, that crisis. And there are people that are just much better at that than others. Now, given that, we think that everybody every manager or most managers have the capacity to learn some things that make them better. We can create shortcuts. But some managers, Jim and Kevin are when they manage a team, everybody gets worse. Mm -hmm. I think with early identification, it's really important to identify those people. And let me say this quickly. They may be very, very valuable because you take some of these um, super engineers, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, whether it's technology, whatever it is, or architects or some kind of a thing, the person that may have huge value uh, can't offer management. They need management. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't mean that if I'm not a good manager, and I'm not a great manager, by the way, but but you say, well, we can't use Jim uh, at all. Uh, but, but to know the difference, uh, the right. good question, the best question is look at somebody and say, um, can they offer management or do they need management? Right, right. But to right. sort that out early is really helpful. That's great. So with, uh, we only have a couple of minutes left. Uh, one of the things I want to ask was, was a personal question. I mean, I'm wondering if each of you could share one of your own Clifton strengths and, and how you try to, to maximize it and what you do. Go ahead, Jim. <laughs> well, <clears throat> my number one theme is futuristic and if you're cursed with that thing, you can't, you, you don't have any hobbies, you don't, you can't watch sports, because almost everything you see, you wonder where it's going, <laughs> what, what it's going to turn into or where it's going. Um, but uh, another one is uh, individualization, that be- because when you're, when you're CEO of a firm like this, you're, you're sort of always making calls on, on, on clients or, or prospects and all, all that kind of a thing. But, but what I've noticed over all these years, I've had kind of the same job my whole career, but is that what you think is on the table for the deal, whatever it might be, and you think that all the people on the other side of the table want the same thing. Mm. Every one of them wants something different. <laughs> and if you can figure out what it is that's behind each of those faces, you really have an advantage over your competitor. So, but, but futuristic and individualization are, the, are, are kind of what I do every day. That's great. Yeah, um, for me, and also I would say this is as much an advantage as a curse is my I focus is one of my top themes. And I just love getting immersed and absorbed in things. But the, the other one that kind of balances it out, I think, is, is relator and individualizations in there too. But um, so, you know, I've got to plan out time where I can get immersed, uh, absorbed as Mihai Csikszentmihalyi would say, get into flow. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but focus also makes me lose track of time and lose track of other things. So that, that's the curse part of it. <laughs> or, 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 or somebody comes by my office when I'm in the middle of something. I, I didn't plan that day uh, for that. And uh, I initially I feel a slight amount of irritation and then I invite them in because I have relator and then I, I'm glad that I did. So it's, it's kind of, it's like my, my wife will force me into social outings and I'm, I have a great time when I'm there, but I don't think about doing it. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> That's a good way to put it. I, w- I want to remind our listeners that we've been talking about uh, the new book from Gallup. It's The Manager. And this is destined to be the new handbook, the new guidebook that every manager or aspiring manager uh, needs to have on their desk. And it even includes a code so that you can take the Clifton Strengths assessment online and discover your signature themes uh, as well. So as a final question, uh, gentlemen, I always like to leave with an action item. And we've, we've, <laughs> because I geek out on engagement, we've been talking about a lot of high level things. We've been talking about what makes uh, a great leader a great but what's something that our listeners can do, you know, today or this week back in the office to get them started? Uh, uh, what, what, what would be your advice? The first thing is to get to know the strength. I know we just talked about strengths, but I think to get to know the strengths, your own strengths first and the strengths of the people that you lead will make your team much more efficient and it creates a shortcut to getting everything else done. It's a different lens than traditional leadership development has taken uh, where we try to kind of put everybody into the same cookie cutter sort of approach. I guess I've got got to say that that's the place to start because it leads to everything else being more efficient. Um, We've got to get to know each other. It opens up the door for um, how we label people, how we think about people. Um, It can get past some of the DNI issues that people Mm -hmm. are having right now. I mean, there's, there's a kind of a wide open door just with that one thing, I think. Yeah. And it goes back to the, the idea of individualization, you know, figuring out yeah. the, the right way to interact and, and leverage each person. Right. Jim, other thoughts uh, that you would have on something that we could, we could do right away? Well, <clears throat> I, I think what would change anybody's team or their company or, or, or the United States of America. I mean, and, and I'm, I, I was really happy to be a part of uh this book with Jim because America needs to take their game up right now. China really is coming. And there's only 330 million of us, and and one of the things that's made us great is that, is that we outperform the whole, whole world. You know, we're still about 22 percent of all the sales and you know the GDP GDP of the world. And I think there's a lot of low hanging fruit, and and I think Kevin, it's it's almost this simple: the practice of management doesn't work anymore. Just exactly like what Jim said, we need a new practice of management. And the most clearly I can say it is: we've got to go from boss to coach. It is so interesting to me. I, again, I don't follow, but there's a team. And I'll just speed this up, but th- they lost all their games. They get a new coach. It's the same players, and they go six and six, and the next year they go 12 and zero. Hmm. You see, but the coach makes so much difference. And if you've ever been a, if you, um, if you play basketball or anything early in your, and you have somebody that starts coaching you and they, and they tell you, uh, drop your left foot, not your right foot, or watch the ball, not, you know, whatever, man, it changes your game. But I think if people would just go in the next day and say, going forward for the rest of my career, I'm going to coach my team rather than direct it. I think that would change everything. Hmm. Great parting wisdom. Again, it's the manager available, amazon.com, Barnes and Noble, everywhere books are sold. Uh, Gentlemen, thanks for coming on to the LeadX Leadership Show. Kevin, thanks. Uh, Congratulations on all the success you're having. And it means a lot to me and the whole Gallup tribe that you have an interest in what Jim and I are doing. Thank you, Kevin. Great talking with you today. Appreciate the invite. Thanks, guys. 
Friends, if you like this episode of the LeadX Leadership Podcast, please take a minute, leave a rating on iTunes or Stitcher. Ratings are invaluable for attracting new listeners. And I like to convert those listeners into leaders because you know I'm on a mission to spark 100 million leaders in the next 10 years. And if you wanna become the boss everyone fights to work for and nobody wants to leave, check out the LeadX platform with Coach Amanda at leadx.org. And if you have 10 or more managers who could use some binge-worthy training, send me an email at info at leadx.org, L-E-A-D-X dot O-R-G, and we'll talk about getting you set up with a totally free pilot for those managers. See if they like it. If they don't, that's fine. We go away. Part as friends. But if they love it, you've just found yourself a new resource for them. Remember, leadership is influence. You're always leading. How are you going to lead today? <laughs>